with the struggle of same-sex attraction or gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria, whatever, however you want to call it. This has been so deeply ingrained as identity for that community that the behavior or the temptation is inseparable from, from their personhood. So when you say to someone who, in the LGBTQ community, well, I love the, love the sin or hate the sin, they don't hear that. They don't hear that differentiation because that differentiation is nowhere in their head. It is essentially saying, I hate you. In your book, you talk about uh, same-sex attraction uh, that it, in and of itself is not sinful. Right. Now, that could be a kind of a buzz. Uh, oh, heck yeah. 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 <laughs> Which I really like, you know. Oh, I like stirring things up. Yeah, goading people a little bit. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So one of the, th one of the things that uh, we really have to examine is that temptation itself is not sin. Mm -hmm. Now, the, nat and the nature of our temptations just reflect our vulnerabilities. There is a thin line that when we begin struggling with temptation where we have to wrestle like when do I, when do I become morally culpable for what I'm doing here in my mind? And what am I, what I'm cultivating? Mm -hmm. So like, um, so before I explain that more, I want to back up a little bit and say this, like as a person who struggled with same sex attraction, growing up immediately, just the nature of that struggle was demonized and made mm -hmm. out to be worse. Yeah. And so the moment that I felt like a temptation came, I felt already defeated and guilty which left me absolutely no room to have any victory. So it's kind of this mentality of like, well, I've already failed. So mm. what do I do now? Right. And if I've already failed, then I might as well continue to fail and get some gratification out of this. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what the mentality that kept being bred in my life because if at the moment of just even having a temptation, mm. I felt defeated. And a friend used to say, well, if you, you never want to be on a plane where a pilot says, we've hit some turbulence and lost a little altitude, so I'm just going to go ahead and drive this down into the ground. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> yeah, that's no, thank you. Like, thank you. recover. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, same yeah. thing with this. And like, where on a human level, there has to be some place for victory. Mm -hmm. There has to be some place for, for me to engage my will to make a different decision. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you combine that with the reality that, that temptation itself is not sin or else Jesus would be a sinner mm -hmm. because the scripture clearly says he was tempted in, in every, every way. way. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't say that he was tempted with same sex attraction, but it doesn't preclude it. Right. You know, who knows? Yeah. Big cosmic question for Jesus when I get up there. Yes. <laughs> but with that said, it's like, I begin to wrestle through like, okay, Lord, where is the line of delineation mm. where it moves from temptation and as the scripture says, when temptation, you know, then once cultivated gives birth to sin. Yeah. You know, where is that? Where, where, where do I wrestle and, and how do I differentiate it? And so what I began learning in my own discipleship process, well, first and foremost, the Lord was like, the moment you become aware of what you're doing is the moment of responsibility that you have to come to me or not. Hmm. Like, you know, and, and, I'll be honest, there were some days where I was much more down the road yeah. of this before I recognized, oh man, I'm doing something really stupid here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the more I became disciplined in my responses, the earlier I found my my warning signs of mm -hmm. like, you know, the nature of same-sex attraction, we cultivate sexuality 
as a antidote for other issues that are going on in our hearts and our souls. And sometimes that's cultivated, you know, without our control, like, you know, many people in the gay community experience sexual exposure at very early ages before they're even Mm -hmm. making decisions. And so if a vulnerability has been cultivated with a sexual response, you can't, you can't, you know, condemn a person for something they didn't have a choice in cultivating, mm-hmm. but you can call them to better now. Mm. And so for me, I began recognizing earlier and earlier where my vulnerabilities were. Like if I, if I saw a guy that was physically attractive, noticing that he was attractive did not make me guilty. Mm. You know, this, right. I write about it in the book where I had a friend who helped kind of break the glass for me on that, where it was like, Oh, you see that that guy's attractive. He's like, Drew, I have eyes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But I thought you just saw a beanbag when you saw other guys, you know, it's like, you I know, remember the, that in your book. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. cause I, this, this idea that only gay people see other attractive men is, was a lie. But you yeah, know, we all see beauty. Yeah. It's then what that beauty compels us to do, whether we worship the beauty or we go back to the creator and honor the creator for yeah. the beauty. Uh-huh. You know, at any rate. I think you're you're the same distance from sin as someone mm-hmm. who's heterosexual noticing someone. Yeah. Female, you know, if I notice a girl is attractive, it's, it's like that point where it's like, okay, what do I do with this? Right. Well, let's <laughs> even take sexuality out of it and just yeah. go on the basis of just attraction because not all attraction is sexual. Right. So let's take the guy who notices the other guy and maybe you don't sexualize him, but you envy him mm. and you start developing well judgments said. in your heart. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not in shape right now. Like I'm 45 years old and mm. I kind of give up. Uh, <laughs> not totally, but... I'll admit my ambivalence here. <laughs> you know, if I'm driving down the road and it's, you know, a, hot, a summer day and there's a guy jogging with his shirt off and he's the picture of Adonis, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right? I am no longer at a place where I'm going to look at him and sexualize him, yeah. but I certainly might be at a place where I envy him or I, you know, start hitting a place of insecurity or, or immaturity in my own life where I'm like, you know, I've judged people like, oh, nice of you to have all the time in the world to, do, you know, devote to that carnal thing. And you're, it's like, no, stop it, Drew. Like, yeah. that's just your own insecurities or comparison running rampant. And mm. that also is sinful. You know, it doesn't have to be sexual in nature. Mm. There are vulnerable points that we get triggered into based on what we see. Right. Where we're tempted to envy or we're tempted to disparage or we're tempted to judge or we're tempted to lust. Mm-hmm. All these things come not because we see it. Right. But what we do with what we see. Yes. So, yes. That reminds me a lot of um, when Paul talks about the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I was able to do all of these things. But when it came down, I can't remember what the last one was, but it's a, like a heart issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, covetous. Mm-hmm. He said, but when it got to covetous, I yep. realized I, I, I'm i guilty. Yep. Because, you know, this is something I've done in my heart. Totally. Because covetous is not lived out necessarily in what we do with our hands, but just yeah. what's in our hearts. And Paul says, that's, that's where I, absolutely, you know, so. absolutely right. Mm. So, Mm-mm. you know, for me, that statement of same sex attraction isn't sin. All same sex attraction is, is a, is a symptom of something else going on in your life. Mm. And you can either use that symptom and go with it, yeah. or you can use it as an indicator to say, okay, I have other work to do here. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why God did not answer that prayer for me. And honestly, anyone else I've ever known Mm. of take this away from me, you know, the whole pray away the gay thing that people talk about. Well, I tried praying it away and it didn't work. 
Yeah, because the great physician is not going to take away his symptom and leave the cause. Mm. That is not a good father. That is not yeah. a good physician. Wow. You know, God, I have found, will leave painful things in our lives so that we are motivated and desperate enough to go to him for the, the remedy, mm. for the help, for the for the aid in our time of need, which mm. I think reflects more back on, say, like when Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh that he asked for God three times to remove and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm. That isn't a passive statement. That's really marching orders of press into my grace. Wow. You know, it's like you can endure. You don't have to be guilty, mm. whether that that thorn was something that drove him towards temptation to sin or whether it was just a vulnerability or weakness that he had yeah. that he just felt like I can't accomplish everything I want to because of this thing. And God was saying in either regard, however you mm. interpret it, my grace is sufficient for you mm. not to cover up when you fail, but to empower you not to, mm. or not to make your own efforts, you know, fruitful, but rather to rely on me to be the one that really produces the lasting harvest. Wow. You can interpret it either way, but you know, the, the nature of the sin or the nature of the struggle or temptation, that's just revealing something. And then we have the responsibility once we know that it's there of what am I going to do with that? So like the example of, you know, a shirtless guy jogging mm -hmm. in my past, that would definitely cause me to stumble mm -hmm. horribly into lust yeah. and into fantasy. And when I was beginning to really wrestle my way through stewarding my heart mm -hmm. and stewarding my reactions, you know, I would see that same sort of guy and I would be tempted to cultivate a lustful response. And the Lord really led me to just to go, okay, just admit to me what you're struggling with. Yeah. You know, rather than trying to repress your temptations, bring them to the light of my presence and let's talk about it. Yeah. And so wow. I began to say like, okay, here's a very attractive guy. I don't feel like I measure up. I envy what he has. Like I have cultivated a response to that and I'm reaping the consequences of that. I've sown to please the flesh and from the flesh I'm reaping destruction right now. Mm. Here, all these things are true, God. So help me, help me to not give into this. Help me not to lust after him. Help me to see myself through a different lens because what I'm seeing in him makes me feel like I'm not a good man. Mm. Tell me how I am. And it really was beginning to minister to all those places that that temptation represented rather than giving that temptation all the power in the world to either condemn me or to determine my destiny. Yeah. I, that just hit, it just hits home really good. I just really, yeah, that's a, personally, that's a really impactful. Yeah. Something, um, my one of my pastors says is when when like you're biking if you're on a BMF, bmx bike mm -hmm. and you're constantly trying to avoid a tree right you, you end up hitting a tree you absolutely hit a tree yeah and yeah. if you if you take your eyes off the path and onto what you're scared of missing where our focus is is where we're going to end up mm. you know my wife and i had a trip to hawaii a couple of week, years back, uh, some friends of ours invited us to go with them otherwise we never would have been able to go yeah. you know and and they were a very sporty couple, so we felt like we have to try to be sporty to match. <laughs> yeah. And we found ourselves going on this little kayak tour, this tandem kayak. It was as a miracle our marriage survived this moment. <laughs> um, it was, I know these moments. It was a crap circus is what it was. And, and you oh. know, one of the things is we kept hitting the shoreline and hitting these branches mm -hmm. and hitting these things. <laughs> and when we got back from this thing, we, we went and we're talking with our friends about our experience because we went without them. Uh -huh. which would have been more shameful to be in front of them to do this. Yeah. But um, as we were talking through this, uh, the wife says, well, where were you looking? Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, 
we were looking at the trees and the shore. We didn't want to hit it. She's like, oh, that was your problem. Yeah. Because wherever you're looking is where you're going to end up. And I thought that will preach. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's so true. If we're looking at, if we're focused on our brokenness and our the thing that we're tempted in, you know, we're going to end up at a destination. But if we recognize that's indicating something else, Lord, bring my focus back to what the real issue is. Yeah. What is the real issue here? Mm. And, you know, if it's about, you know, needing affirmation from my father, mm. that is just going to grow me. Yeah. You know, I can go to him and I can say, okay, I be- believed a lot of lies about my masculinity. Yeah. Can you tell me the truth? Yeah. Can you tell me the truth of your heart for me? Can you tell me the truth of what you expect from me? Can you, you know, dispel the lies, Lord, because I'm, I'm believing some lies here, mm. which this circles back to that whole thing of identity, mm-hmm. why identity is so important to me and important to my ministry, because we focus on an identity. Yeah. We end up in that identity. If we call ourselves broken, if we call ourselves gay, if we call ourselves, you know, less than, if we call ourselves an addict, we're going to behave like it because that's where our focus is. Mm. So circling back. Yes. To that. No, that's good. I think it's, it's easy as a Christian to to play like a game of sin whack-a-mole mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, this one's coming up, the, the weasels, you know, and you're yep. just like, instead yep. of just focusing on, focusing on like the goodness in the relationship yeah. and the, the filling of, of the Lord and the spirit. Well, pursuit is way pow- more powerful than resistance. Mm-hmm. Like if we are constantly trying to resist sin, but not pursuing the Lord and pursuing mm-hmm. the good things he has for us, we're going to find ourselves in a really, you know, broken cycle of failure and repentance and you know god please forgive me and i'll try again harder because we are trying not to sin rather than pursuing godliness Mm. when we're pursuing godliness when we're pursuing god's heart for us when we're pursuing health there's not room for Mm. other things it's you know an old scottish theologian thomas chalmers wrote this back in the Mm. 17 somethings this essay called the expulsive power of a new affection Mm. and basically saying like the bad thing does not have space in our hearts if we're pursuing the good thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, it's even, you know, he references back to scripture so often, like the commandments, like put off the old, put on the new. Yeah. It, God is a God of exchange, yeah. not just like don't sin, it's pursue me. Mm-hmm. And so I've found that when I've kind of got that in right order in my life, things go much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So in your book, you use this analogy of a sunrise yes. uh, experience. I guess it was not just an analogy, but it's an experience you had. Yeah. And you 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 brought that back into like spiritual formation. Yes. Or, and also just growth. Yes. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So in the earlier years, uh, just <laughs> probably a year or two after surrendering my gay relationship and, and surrendering my sexuality to Jesus, um, I found myself working at an athletic club, which was really a cruel joke. Number <laughs> yeah. one, like... I was going to say. Right, because, you know, <laughs> what's the greatest place for a young man with same-sex struggle to be? You know, working the front desk, the morning shift in an athletic club where all the specimens of masculinity are going to walk in every day. I'm like, fantastic. Um, uh, but it was a great job, and it was given to me uh, really by the Lord mm-hmm. for great formation in my life. And yeah. I worked the 4 a.m. to 12 shift, eight hours, you know, from 4 a.m. to noon. And one of the things that was so wonderful about it is the front desk had these – one of the walls was uh, western – no, eastern-facing walls that were pure windows from floor mm-hmm. to ceiling. Wow. And so every morning – I got to watch the sunrise. Where, where is this? This is Portland. This was in Yakima, Washington. Yakima. Okay. Yeah. So sunnier climate. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, I was, it was just a wonderful treat then in the mornings to watch the sunrise. And mm. once the initial rush of people came in at 5 a.m., like I would have a long lull period till about seven, where the next, you know, crew of people would start right. rushing in around seven to 7.30. Mm-hmm. And I was lamenting, you know, one morning <laughs> having just watched the parade of masculinity walk in right. and feeling like, you know, I'm less than and I'm worse. And mm. when am I ever going to feel secure as a man? And when are you going to work these things out of me, Lord? And mm. and just in that kind of shame spiral of lament. And I just felt the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And I'll say this, like, this is just extra gravy for the podcast. Uh, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am, I'm a firm believer that the Lord has way more ability to speak to our hearts than the enemy does, mm. which is not always what we think. Like yes. how many times have you heard in church, well, the enemy was tempting me or the enemy was speaking the enemy. Yeah. But then you start saying, well, the Lord said, and people look at you like you're nuts. Yeah. Or, you know, when did we agree that the enemy has more power or ability to communicate to our hearts than, wow. than God himself? Yeah. That's just extra gravy. I so. really, that's good. That's uh, convicting to be convicted. Well, good. Honest. Yeah. <laughs> I aim to please and convict. Um, so I was sitting mm-hmm. there and I felt the Holy Spirit just say, hey, Drew, look at the sun. Look at the sunrise. And so I, it was already bright at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm looking out at the, the horizon and it's a beautiful, glorious day. And the Lord just sort of said, when did the light overcome the darkness? Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, well, I wasn't watching. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna watch tomorrow. I'm gonna I'm gonna see. And so I began this process of like trying to catch the sunrise. Right. And for weeks, I kid you not, <laughs> like it was the most frustrating experience because every day that I was working, something would come up mm-hmm. that it would distract my attention and I had to go do something, or you know, there were people at the front desk, mm-hmm. or there was some task I had to do, and I missed this, the sun breaking the horizon every day for weeks. Yeah. And I was getting so frustrated. <laughs> and so finally there was this day where I'm just like eyes glued on the horizon and just watching and I'm watching and I'm watching and someone came up to the front desk. I'm like, Nope, just a minute. (laughs) And I'm watching and I finally caught where the sun broke the horizon. It Mm. was beautiful and glorious and really dissatisfying Mm. because I was like, I don't feel like I have the answer. Like that was great. But what's the answer that you were trying to get me to see Lord? And, and then I felt like the Holy spirit once again, say, when did the light overcome the darkness? And I sat there for a minute and I thought, well, Mm. it was getting light before the sun broke the horizon. Mm. And the Lord was like, yeah, it was. And it was just like, Drew, there's going to be a breakthrough moment for you Mm. where where what you've been waiting for Mm. will break the horizon and it will be satisfying and good. But don't for a minute think Mm. that I have not been busy overcoming the darkness the whole time. And it's, it's so true that it was getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah, the the breaking the horizon was this glorious breakthrough moment, but it wasn't where all the work was being done. God was busy overcoming the darkness the entire time. Mm. And that really changed my perspective on, on how the Lord heals and restores our lives. Like there's there are these moments that are Ebenezer moments where you build the altar to the Lord because it's tangible. Mm-hmm. Like this is the moment that God spoke or this yeah. is the moment that, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead or, you know, these are the the moments of monument, but the Lord is always moving and always working to restore us and to, to heal us and to conform us more into the image of Jesus. Like it's from glory to glory to glory. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really changed my perspective of like, I could settle in my heart 
that just because they didn't perceive the change happening or the breakthrough, that it wasn't that God wasn't working, that I could rest in his providence, his plan, his provision, and that those moments of breakthrough would be wonderful moments to celebrate Mm. and to revel in what God had done. But it wasn't, the breakthrough wasn't the whole work of God. Yeah. Like God is event and process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in different streams of Christianity, we have emphasis on one or, over the other. Like, you know, in Pentecostal world, they're all about chasing the experience mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong right. with getting a word from the Lord yeah. or, or having their miraculous moment. Mm-hmm. And I believe the Lord still does those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the less Pentecostal world, it can be all about process of yeah. like just obedience and discipline and, and all that. And, and honestly, both streams are worser for the lack of understanding and appreciation of the other. Yeah. Because we need moments and we need process. Yeah. God has written that throughout yeah. all of creation. Yeah. And so that's how I approach it now. Mm. It's just like, I know God is always moving. He's always working. Mm. He's always at work in my heart. And there are moments that I get to celebrate and that are kind of moments of, of demarcation of time or process, yeah. but they're not the whole process. Mm-hmm. So, mm. yeah, that was one of the most, I think, poignant parts uh, mm. of your book for me personally is just, I love that you look away and then you look back and the sun's over the horizon. Right. You know, and it's yep. just so symbolic yep. and um, just powerful how you're right. It's even before it's over, it's it's getting brighter. The Lord's yeah. working. It's yep. so it, it's it's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, I'm just reading through my questions here for the <laughs> yeah. audience. Yeah. Uh, we have been planning this for months. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we absolutely normally I would write these notes the day before the, the podcast and drew, first, the first week your daughter was sick. Yep. The second week, my son was sick. Yep. Um, and I think, yeah, so it's just, it's been, it's hilarious. been a journey. It has been a journey. Here we are. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, we made it. Yes, we did. Um, I'm going to go off script a teeny bit. Here. Yeah. Go um, for it. So, for every Oregonian knows the story of the cake. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, the cake. The cake. And um, it's been such a long-running story mm-hmm. that when it first happened, I was in one camp. Yep. And then I kind of became my own person and ended up in the other camp. Yep. Um, so basically, if you're not – I mean, our listeners are probably from Oregon, but it's, right. it's not – It's it was a Supreme Court oh, yeah. case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you know, film, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a gay couple. Yeah, well, the the case that went to the Supreme Court was actually from Masterpiece Cakes in Denver area. Okay, all right. And but same sort of thing. Yeah. Where the 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 Gresham Bakers had a, a woman come in mm-hmm. to their shop and wanted to order a cake for her lesbian wedding, uh-huh. and they refused on religious you know conviction, just refused to do it. And of course, the Oregon Labor Bureau went after the couple and fined them hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, just a debacle beyond debacle. In Colorado, very similar situation where a gay couple came to the to Masterpiece Bake Shop and wanted a gay, you know, celebratory cake. And the owner was like, you know, I'm, I just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like religious conviction can't do that. And in both cases, the state went after both bakers. And this is, you know, there's many cases like this, whether it be photographers or, mm-hmm. you know, other people who offer services and goods to um, weddings or, you know, those sort of thing have been facing this, this issue mm-hmm. all over the place. So yes, but it did go to the Supreme court mm-hmm. and the and Supreme- they- 
they found in favor of the baker. Oh, they did? Yes, they did. I did not know that. Yes, and pushed it back to the state because they found that the state had acted in animus towards the the religious convictions of the baker. Mm. And so that set precedent. And even the bakers from Oregon, their fines have been greatly reduced Mm. because the the, the Supreme Court case has set precedent on this. So So at at risk of sounding... Uh, naive. I'll just say when I was probably seven, sixteen or seventeen mm-hmm. when the Portland one happened. Right. Maybe I don't know. It was a, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. Um. Yeah. And I remember thinking, um, wow, good for them. They stood up for their convictions. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was you know so brave. Mm-hmm. Now I think well, I don't I don't have the same opinion. I should say. Right. So I think you go into business as a cake maker. Sure. And you're gonna be serving cakes to all sorts of events. You're gonna be you're gonna be making cakes for weddings that the couple's gonna end up getting divorced. Right. They've been sleeping. Maybe they are against your convictions and that they've been sleeping together. Right. right. Which is fornication within right. the biblical scripture. Right. Maybe you op- maybe maybe you're a business owner who sells alcohol and mm-hmm. there's customers who are alcoholics and you're fueling that. Right. But that's not the entire purpose of why you end a business. Totally. So I, I'm I'm curious on your take. Because I love this question. Okay. I'm so happy you asked this question. (laughs) Let's get into it. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a couple of things at play here. I think Mm. one of the first things that we can't ignore beyond any of the, any of the laws and the circumstances is what does the church teach when we engage the world? Mm. And, you know, one of the the arguments that was prevalent Mm -hmm. when this first came out was the idea of like, do not because you know this was this and this has been basically compelled speech or compelled action where um the laws that the state are pushing through particularly with lgbtq civil rights and protections mm-hmm. are are basically there it's called uh, repressive tolerance where it's no longer tolerance it's like you will conform mm. you don't have a choice of conscience here and um however restrictive they were back then they are getting worse and worse mm-hmm. so that's a whole other issue um, but the reaction from the church to that has been, at least in those initial days, were to view this through the lens of like Daniel and the lion's den, mm-hmm. you know, do not bow down <laughs> right. to the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Yeah. And, you know, there's a fourth man in the furnace, you know, just you <laughs> must not bow down to the, to the paganistic, you know, demonic culture that's compelling you to. And, and I find that the thing that they're forgetting mm is that Daniel was serving in a paganistic culture. He was a chief of the Chaldeans and the magicians and the sorcerers. He literally was managing the pagans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the Lord was, you know, the scripture says he was without blame. Yeah. Not to mention he had a pagan name given to him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, he did. And the Lord did not find him guilty by Mm. serving that particular nation, by serving in his capacity as the manager and leader of all the pagans. Right. (laughs) So in one regard, it's like, okay, there's, this is not a perfect analogy. There's something else here. And one respect is Daniel was being asked to worship the king as a God. Mm. And that was his line. Yeah. Like, no, I can manage your magicians and have a clear conscience. I can serve this pagan nation. Yeah. And have a clear conscience because my heart before God is clear. Mm. Yep. Heart before God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the Lord that has said he looks, you know, man looks at the external, but God looks at the heart. Right. 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 So in one regard, a lot of the tension in this has been 
emphasis on behavior without any recognition of the heart. And this goes to the question of, can you go to a gay wedding Mm -hmm. or are you shaming Jesus by going? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you bake the cake or are you, you know, failing the Lord if you do so? So the first thing that we have to understand is God sees our heart. God knows our heart. The second thing we have to understand is that when it comes to holiness, which is this another area where this kind of wraps up in the discussion of like, well, you are serving a pagan, you know, a a sinful thing that's going to defile you. (sighs) <sighs> so there's a great book called Untamed by Alan and Deborah Hirsch. Mm-hmm, they love Alan and Deborah Hirsch. Mm. And they talk about this idea of holiness and the Holy Spirit. Hagion, the Greek word for holy, can be either interpreted as set apart or can be the sanctifying spirit. Oh, and when okay. we look at Jesus, when he came into the world, it wasn't that the dirty or the unclean thing made him unclean, like it did for all of the Jews in the sacrificial and ceremonial law. Like if you touched the dead thing, you had to go get cleansed. Mm. If you did this, you were unclean. You had to go deal with that. When Jesus touched the unclean or the dead thing, Mm. it did not make him unclean. He made it clean. We carry the Holy Spirit Mm. with us. So why are we afraid? Why are we afraid that if we can't engage in a broken world or step into a very defiled situation Mm. and have it defile us? Is the Holy Spirit less powerful than he was? back with Jesus, mm-hmm. there is no junior Holy Spirit. Like mm-hmm. we actually get to carry the presence of God into situations yeah. that, that would otherwise be dangerous or maybe defiling for us if we are submitted to him and in relationship and connection with mm-hmm. him. So there's that, that I need to put out there. So I love that. Yeah. With those things in mind, um, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, Mm. you know, if, and I'm not going to criticize the bakers. I'm not going to criticize any of those individuals. I don't know their heart before the Lord. Mm -hmm. What I am going to say is that we don't get to use one decision or one person's opinion about what to do as scripture. Yeah. We don't get to, we don't get to take the easy way out and say, well, it's clear we shouldn't do that. Did the Holy Spirits tell you, you shouldn't do that. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, you made the decision that you would go to the wedding. In my book, I talk about how I went to my brother's wedding, mm-hmm. but I don't use that as a prescriptive. Mm. I use it as a descriptive yeah. to say, this is how the Lord engaged with us. Yeah. Here's why we made the decision. Now you take that information and you go to the Lord and ask him what you want to do, what he wants you to do, yeah. because it might be not to bake the cake or it might be to bake the cake. The cake is not the point. Right. <laughs> Our witness and what we do in the circumstance is. Yeah. So I'll use this as a, a story as an example. And I shared it in my book and I'll share it here where I was talking about this years ago when I was still living in Portland and I was on, um, I was one of the people that our church was an elder led church. And so sometimes they'd have me speak to help give the elders a break or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was speaking on homosexuality and this issue and, and I brought up the idea of, of the, the cake and the bakers and, you know, how we can engage the Lord in this decision. And the, the woman who was leading worship at our church, she was in the worship leader role. She was also a professional soul and jazz musician mm. in the Portland music scene. Yeah. And I said to her, like, hey, Michael, you watch one of these days, you're going to get invited or mm. asked to perform yeah. at a gay wedding and you're going to have to wrestle this out. I didn't realize how prophetic I was because that week... Wow. She got an invitation from yeah. a gay couple mm-hmm. to to be the musician for their wedding. And she, of course, called my wife and I was like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. 
And so we invited her over for dinner and we started talking it out. I'm like, okay, well, what is your point of conviction? Where, where's your conflict? And she said, well, if I go and I do this, they're going to think I agree with them. Mm -hmm. I said, then you have the responsibility to tell them that you don't. Mm. And she was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I said, then you're going to lie. Like, she's, can I just say that I'm already booked for that date? You'd be lying. Are you okay with lying? Mm. So you want to choose lying over honesty? (laughs) It's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And like, okay. She goes, but I don't want to offend them. I said, well, you can't control whether they're offended, but you can control the spirit in which you you Mm. share with them your convictions. Yeah. I said, so here's what you need to do. And so we laid out this plan for her. And so um, she scheduled an appointment with them and she met with them and she went over, she handled the appointment for the first part of the appointment exactly as she would with any other client that was booking her. She went over her rates, her songs that she does, you know, asked the time commitment, like all the Mm -hmm. pertinent information. And then the very end of it, she did this to our advice. She said, one more thing I need to talk to you guys about. Mm. In addition to being a soul and jazz musician, I'm also the worship pastor of a church. And in that role, I have that role because of my convictions on my faith. And my faith teaches me that marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm. And she said, so I do not, you know, I, I do not feel like I can do this without sharing with you that if you were to invite me to come and to serve at your wedding, yeah. you would be doing so with a person who is not celebrating with you mm. and is not in agreement with your choices. However, as much as I have this conviction, I also understand you don't. Mm. And as much as I have the conviction of what marriage is, I also have the same conviction that God calls me to love my neighbor as myself. Mm -hmm. And so if you do hire me, knowing that I'm not celebrating this with you, you will hire a person who will perform with the same level of excellence and professionalism Mm -hmm. I would for anybody else. Nobody will know Mm. that I have an objection morally to this yeah now if it's important to you that your vendor be celebrating with you then you might want to make another choice yeah but if it's not important to you and you're okay with it Mm -hmm. then i am happy to serve at your wedding so tactfully done yeah and so they they looked at her and they were like wow that was unexpected Mm. and she said i i know it's a lot and i'm sorry to have to do this but my own conscience won't allow me to not be honest with you yeah and they said, well, the, you handled that very respectfully. We really appreciate that. And they, and they sat there for a minute and said, you know, honestly, we don't know if it's important to us that the vendors be celebrating with us. Mm. And she said, you know what? I understand. You take whatever time you need. I will book the date for you. Mm. Wow. And you just let me know if you want to move forward with this or not. Take the time you need. And so she left. And about two weeks later, they contacted her and said, you know, after a lot of conversation we've decided that it is actually important to us that that those that are there at our wedding are at the very least you know in agreement with it so thank you for for being honest with us we've decided to go with someone else and she said you know what i understand completely have a wonderful wedding Mm. she didn't violate the law she didn't violate her conscience wow i call that a win-win yeah and even if she even if they had said, yes, we want you to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And since that day, she has had the same conversation 
with another person, another, this time it was a lesbian couple mm -hmm. that said, yeah, we don't care if you don't agree. We just really like your music. Mm. So she said, great, I'll do it. Yeah. And she did it. And her conscience was clear. Yeah. And you know, that she knew that they knew where she stood. There was no ambiguity. And so, you know, the Lord calls us to, to not just preserve our own walk with him, but to understand we're ambassadors mm. and that couple both couples experienced an interaction with a Christian who disagreed with them, but did so respectfully and lovingly and created less obstacles between them and the Lord. Because mm -hmm. honestly, the way that some of these stories have gone, not really a good witness. Mm -hmm. And I understand why, but I also think that we can do better. Yeah. <laughs> we can think through it. So for me, um, with each individual person, there, so many of us that we want a formula, we want a, someone to make the decision for us and right. not to be held accountable to it. Mm, right. Um, but unfortunately we don't get that privilege. We have to go to the Lord with each circumstance and be as honest mm -hmm. and as transparent and as loving as possible. Mm. And sometimes that will lead us to actually do the thing we're uncomfortable with. And who knows the dividends spiritually that will pay out as we earn the right in people's lives to actually be present with them. Mm. Um, and sometimes it'll cause, you know, us to not have to do the uncomfortable thing and we'll dodge the bullet and great. Yeah. But more than whether or not we have to do the uncomfortable thing is what impact are we making on a world that needs to know Jesus? That's always the thing for me. I don't want my actions to become an obstacle for another person in their understanding of God's character. Yeah. And that goes both ways, whether I'm unloving or I'm ambiguous about the truth. Mm. I can't be ambiguous about the truth. Mm. I also can't be unloving. Yeah. So I got to walk that tender line that holds both in tandem. And sometimes that'll mean like with my friends, sometimes you're going to get the invite and sometimes you're not, mm -hmm. but it won't be because of how you presented yourself. Mm. That's the hard answer there. Yeah, it is a hard answer because like you said, it's, I, I want a mm -hmm. formula. You know, and mm -hmm. also we live in a in a world where we want to have an opinion about every news mm -hmm. cycle. Well, this is where I stand on this. This right. is where I stand on Ukraine right now. This right. is where I stand. You know, right. And so with the bakers, it's like, okay, so where do I go here? Right. And instead of just saying, well, you know, the Lord knows their heart. Right. And there could have been conviction there that I don't know about. Totally. And you know, the Lord uses mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So these cases, whether I think they were handled right, have mm -hmm. highlighted. A lot of really, I believe, satanic movement to take away religious freedom in our country. Mm -hmm. And it's we can't ignore that. Yeah. You know, the fact that people are being put in this position where the state is finding them because they're trying to observe their religious conviction, whether that religious conviction was completely thought out in its ability to negotiate or yeah. not, yeah. it's a problem. Yeah. And so it's one of the reasons why, in addition to all the things I do, you know, <laughs> part-time pastor, author public you know, speaker, itinerant speaker. Mm -hmm. I also get involved in political action and I've mm -hmm. gone to Washington and see Washington DC and spoken before legislative bodies and, yeah. you know, been invited to come and speak to, to different state governing bodies that are trying to put forth laws that restrict religious freedom. Mm -hmm. It is a big issue. Yeah. And in particular right now with the Biden administration, there are different laws that are being considered like the transgender bill of rights, which is very terrifying mm -hmm. as far as the religious freedom um, mindset, um, and what might become compelled speech in our country. Yeah. And if we think that it can't happen here, we are naive. Yeah. I mean, there are laws that are already paving the way for some very, very, um, scary things for people of faith, but mm. 
you know, we have to be mindful of that. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. It's not a black and white thing. Yeah. Something you touched on a little bit. Um, the, the argument I've heard most for not going to a wedding, mm-hmm. for example, is that presence equals celebration. <laughs> so it's like if I sit in this chair, right. I'm celebrating. And you touched on that already. I did. I did yeah. Um, but I so, can expand on that. Yeah. Can you expand on that and, and why that's you would consider that not to be the case? Right. I would say that if you're passive and ambiguous about your about why you're attending, it can absolutely be mm-hmm. that your presence is being understood as celebration mm-hmm. because the event is a celebration. And so if you're not clear with the people that are that are getting married about where you stand, about why you're going, mm-hmm. then passivity is agreement. Mm-hmm. Like you are just you are you are in your fear of having a difficult conversation. And your uncomfortability towards that difficult conversation, you are going to passively communicate celebration. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. Yeah. But how many parents have been sitting in the chairs at a wedding where their child is marrying someone they do not agree with? Yeah. And it is clear that they don't agree with this, but it also is clear that they're not going to miss their kid's wedding. Yeah. And so I think that that's a real lazy way of thinking mm-hmm. that you can sit by just sitting in a chair, you are celebrating the 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 environment no your your presence at an event does not communicate agreement approval or celebration mm. your lack of communication of your heart might passively allow that in the absence of mm. an actual reason yeah. be filled by assumption but um no your presence there is not it's not an inevitability but I would say if you're going to go, you have the responsibility to make clear why yeah. we don't get to be passive and we don't get to be ambiguous on these issues. Mm. Also not a comfortable answer. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> um, one of my last questions is, um, I'm just going to say the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> Can you you get into that a little bit? Yes. Um, uh, First, I understand the sentiment Mm -hmm. behind it. Yeah. But again, this this loses so much of its potency and actually becomes a real stumbling block for the LGBTQ community because, you know, with the struggle of same-sex attraction or gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria, however you want to call it, Mm This has been so deeply ingrained as identity for that community mm. that the behavior or the temptation is inseparable from from their personhood. Yeah. So when you say to someone who in the LGBTQ community, well, I love the love the sinner, hate the sin, mm-hmm. they don't hear that. They don't hear that differentiation because that differentiation is nowhere in their head. Mm. It is essentially saying, I hate you. Because the action and the, the the attraction that culminates in their identity is the thing that you're saying that you hate. Yeah. But what you're truly saying to them, how they're interpreting it is, mm. I hate you. Mm. Because they can't separate those things. Yeah. Their, their, their behavior and their feelings make their identity. And so it's a really unhelpful phrase. Yeah. So rather than that, I would just say, you know, we just need to love the sinner. Just love the sinner. Like, and the sinner, the fact that they're a sinner is not exclusive to their homosexual or gender mm. variant identity. Yeah. We are all sinners. All of us need Jesus equally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not all of our sins are consequentially the same. Mm. You know, there's a lot right. of consequences that come with LGBTQ identity and especially transgender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, my friend Kathy Grace, who was Keith for 12 years, it took five years for her to physically pass as a woman. That was mm-hmm. a consequence to her sin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not the same sort of consequence that, you know, your random, you know, run of the mill heterosexual sinner is going to experience. Yeah. You know, they, there's a lot more weight and gravity to repenting from this, from this, um, from this struggle, from the LGBTQ mm-hmm. identity and struggle that, yeah. that rav- the average person in church does not understand. Yeah. And so can we be a little bit more mindful of the fact that if, if, if you're witnessing to an LGBTQ person and you're like, accept Jesus, great. What implications does that have for their entire life? Yeah. They're going to have to change their identity. They're going to have to surrender their sexual relationships. Mm. No guarantee that their affections mm. are going to change. If they have transitioned their gender, the Lord may ask them to transition back. Mm. And that's going to be surgery after surgery and years of repairing the damage. And there is some damage that does not get repaired. Yeah, You cannot regrow a penis if you cut it off. Right, You are now marred forever. Mm-hmm. Most of these uh, transitional yeah. processes sterilize the individuals, they lose their ability to fully function in the gender they previously were. Mm. And if you think about how early some of these transitions are being pushed on our children, mm. this is pre-puberty right. where girls are at 12 years old are getting double mastectomies. Mm. And they will now lose the ability if they do manage to move forward and, and bear children, they can't, they can't breastfeed. Mm. And most of the time, and I don't know the statistics on this, but they are high. The the puberty blocking hormones and the cross sex hormones are going to sterilize the individuals mm. so that they won't be able to have children. Mm. This is a this is a consequence. You know, there's you know so many consequences um, to all of this, and then following Jesus with all these consequences, mm. you're giving up your entire community, your identity, potentially your future for relationship and partnership, for what? for a church that doesn't know what to do with you mm. and is relatively hostile to you most of the time yeah. that doesn't know why you don't have your crap together yet mm. that wants this to be a light switch when it isn't that gets suspect and judgmental if you continue to struggle or fall down mm. and maybe meets once a week mm. can we have a bit more compassion and understanding for mm. what we're asking of people mm. and actually seek to be a church that is a soft place to land for people because this is not an easy ask. Mm-hmm. And I think the lack of compassion and understanding is the biggest roadblock that the church has to contend with. Yeah. Because some of us in our desire to be compassionate have capitulated truth. And some of us in our need to preserve truth have surrendered all compassion. Mm-hmm. And we can't do either. We have to do both. Yeah. We have to remain incredibly gracious and compassionate, just like God is. Mm-hmm. And incredibly clear on what the truth of God's intention for sexuality and personhood is. We can't surrender either one of those things. And that is difficult to do well. Mm. But again, it's the commandment we're given by God. Yeah. And, you know, I, I share this across the country that, you know, as I see churches wrestling with this and getting frustrated and rightly so, I think there's a lot of frustration in the fact that we've gone from a people that back in the nineties would have been viewed much more favorably. Mm -hmm. And now in 2020s, you know, we're, we're being listed as the horrible, hateful, awful people. Mm -hmm. 
And there's, there's some frustration in that. But if we stop to think about how small is the LGBTQ community really mm. on a population scale, really, even with the percentages of Gen Z, it's still in the five-ish percentage rate right. worldwide. Yeah. How did a population so small gain so much cultural influence? Mm. You know, I, I ask this question in church crowds and I see the blank stares of like, the enemy, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Mm-hmm. That God ultimately is in charge. In the scripture, it says that he's the one who appoints kings and leaders mm. and authorities. Do we believe that or don't we? If that's the truth, why would God give so much authority and so much influence to such a small group of people that are outside of his will with their sexualities? Well, historically, in the children of Israel, when they were not behaving like the children that he had called them to be, he put them in cosmic time out. And that looked like... Babylon (laughs) or the Romans (laughs) or, you know, there was always an oppressive paganistic culture that got control and influence over them and they were restricted and they were viewed, you know, less than, and it really was a rebuke. It was the discipline of the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, if if we look at it through that lens that God is the same, he doesn't change his character. He doesn't change his nature. You know, the church has been so willing to let the LGBTQ community just go right ahead and die and go to hell Mm. without any concern for their soul. Mm. The Lord is sick of that. Mm. He is redeeming people in this life. He is redeeming people from this community. He is calling his sons and daughters home. And if the church has been willing to ignore that population, I believe that God has given that population a lot of cultural influence and control and even subversive control over the church so that the church cannot ignore them anymore. Mm. Wow. It's the discipline of the Lord. And, you know, on a positive note, the the stories that I have heard, the friends that I have that the Lord has redeemed out of that community just miraculously and in such a timely uh, season, it's profound. Like I, I, I had the opportunity a couple years back to speak in front of the California you know, governing body at the Capitol to oppose a law that would classify my book and ministry and ministries like mine mm-hmm. uh, as business fraud, mm-hmm. you know, based on the whole conversion therapy yeah. bull crap. So when we were at this hearing, the lawmaker who'd presented this, it was literally on this, I think the second year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. It mm-hmm. was June 12th. Yeah, in France, right? No, it was in Orlando. Oh, in Orlando. Oh, yes, I yeah. do remember. The largest wow. uh, mass murder of uh, LGBTQ community and large one of the larger mass shootings in U.S. history. Yeah. Um, I think second to the uh, Las Vegas shooting that happened during that concert a couple years right, back. Right. But that was on June 12th, which happens to be my birthday. Mm. So I always remember it. Mm. And, you know, we were at the Capitol. Juneteenth, or not, not Juneteenth, but um, June is Pride Month. Right? It is. So yeah. that's There's a lot layer. happening yeah. in that whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're at the Capitol and we're speaking against this law and the lawmaker presents us like, we need to pass this law on the anniversary of the worst tragedy befall the mm-hmm. LGBTQ community. Well, as my group that was there was going to the mic to speak, two individuals got up there to speak and they said, hello, our names are... Luis Ruiz and Angel Cologne. And we are two survivors of the Pulse nightclub shooting who gave our lives to Jesus after that shooting. 
and we oppose this law. Mm. You know, don't take our personal tragedy and hijack it for your law. Wow. So this these two young men, both deeply ingrained in the gay community at that point, were reaching the end. They were like the prodigals coming to the point of like looking at the filth that they were in and just mm-hmm. like in that point of despair. Literally, when they tell their testimonies, they were at a point of despair going to Pulse that night. And one of them, uh, you know, Angel being shot and bleeding and having the woman next to him shot and killed and him with his leg crushed and multiple gunshot wounds laying on that floor bleeding just crawled out to the Lord. It's like, forgive me, save me, please, God. I will serve you. Like, literally just giving his life to Jesus bleeding on the floor. And now... He and uh, Luis, who also was in the, got trampled a bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, also gave his life to Jesus after that. And now they travel the world and they speak their testimony. They are evangelists for the kingdom of God. Wow. There are Saul's in the gay community waiting to become Paul's. Yeah. Amen. We get to partner with the Lord in mm. this. We get to be those that help. Uh, you know, share the good news of the gospel for the gay community. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. like that example too, because you see Ananias, mm-hmm. you know, he's wary. Oh yeah. Because he's seen what Paul can do. Absolutely. Um, but he goes in faith mm-hmm. and touches Paul's eyes in that yep. act of obedience and tenderness. Absolutely. It's just so, so powerful. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's good stuff, man. That gives gives me a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I I you know I think there's a comparison. Maybe it's not a direct comparison by any means, but um, as you're saying, you know, the implications of becoming a Christian. We say, well, just accept, you know, <laughs> accept Jesus, you know, right? But uh, you know, if in in Mormon countries, not more Mormon countries, excuse me, Muslim yep. nations, yep. The implications of becoming Christian are profound. Yes, they are. And to this point where I, I don't even know if I could, like, if I know all of them. But it is it is to the point where you lose your family. Yep. You might lose your, you could lose your life. You, or I don't know if that's the case, maybe. Yes. Um, Honor killings, for sure. Mm-hmm. And this is not at all to speak against. Nope. The, it's just the reality. Yeah, just the reality. Um, and we can't just, you know, it would be foolhardy for us to say, well, just accept Jesus. Right. Because we are, we are essentially calling for them to lose everything they have in this life. Yep. Um, every relationship they've ever made. And also just this, the safety of growing up in, in what you've believed and all that. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it would be, it would be a massive change for me to just become Catholic, which is another yep. version of Christianity. Right. <laughs> you know, right. my parents would probably be like, what are you doing? Right. You know, and, right. <laughs> and, and you'd and, face scorn from it, those who are like, but Catholic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I've thought about this, uh-huh. you know, like, cause I, I'm kind of a Catholic sympathist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and just thinking, well, if I did that, it would be, a big deal. And be. that's just Catholicism. Yep. And so to, to take that and, and to recognize that um, I, I'm taking an intercultural communication class right now through mm-hmm. um, my, my theology. I'm doing graduate school. Right. And um, the, the reality, there is cultural bubbles within yep. 
the United States, within Oregon, within Medford, yep. they they are as real of a culture as as another country is. Yep. And uh, to to go in there and and to just say, "Hey, well, just come on, step out and jump jump in our culture," mm-hmm. is a massive disregard for reality. Yep. So that just hit me. Well, and it's it's very good analogy. Like I have good friends that have been missionaries to the Muslim world, mm-hmm. first in Morocco, now in Turkey for twenty some odd years. And in talking with them about kind of this reality, they're like the parallel between leaving uh, Islam faith in an Islam in, in an Islamic community is very very similar, mm. like almost almost verbatim, wow. short of being killed. Yeah, you know. But even that, like, mm. you know, there's a lot of ways to be killed by your decision. Like, mm. um, I've known uh, stories of many people who left. The LGBTQ community, but languished in isolation and loneliness mm. for years, mm. and even to the point of despairing to suicide, because there was no place to connect mm. in the church. They weren't wanted, they weren't received, and so there's 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 a lot of parallels, um, and even just like thinking about the the gravity the gravity in the decisions, because some of us in Christianity. I have, a, I have another colleague in ministry, similar story as mine, um, who talks about how there's a lot of people that are just pagans with Christian hobbies mm. in the churches, you know, and they don't, you know, when you think about what you've had to give up to follow Jesus, it's not a lot. Yeah. And when you compare that with some of the stories of individuals who are walking this journey out, it's profound sacrifice yeah. and a profound uh, life-changing, altering decision to follow Jesus and submit our lives to him. And so a little bit of understanding, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit of uh, awareness to that would be mm-hmm. helpful in our in our movement as a church to, to be able to disciple and be a safe place for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some steps? This would, you know, if you were going to get deep into it, it would take forever. But what are some right. steps in that direction for the church? I think first and foremost is we have to devote time to actually understanding theologically what we, we believe. Mm. Because there is progressive theology on, on homosexuality that is, that is pulling a lot of people down. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And part of it is, um, you know, there was a church in San Francisco, City Church. It was an evangelical, I think, reformed evangelical church that for years had their their theology ish right Mm -hmm. on the issue of like heterosexual marriage is the only expression of sexual behavior that is permissible scripturally Mm -hmm. but what they then said is well if you're lgbtq identified but you come to faith in jesus you just have to remain celibate your whole life so Hmm. part of that part of the error in that is removing the potential for God to do some restorative work. Yeah. It's like, there's no hope there. Mm. Also what it then set up was this greater and less than where heterosexual marriage became the goal Mm. and like the pinnacle of human experience. Yeah. So if you don't, and, and that's the sexual expression within that. Mm -hmm. So, So sexual expression was elevated to like a human need. Wow. It is not a human need. No one has ever died for lack of an orgasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not to be blunt, but like yeah. no, we we have <laughs> elevated marriage on this pedestal of idolatry within the church. Yeah. Now I love marriage. I love what God communicates through marriage, but it is only communicating like a parable, the greater reality of our relationship with Christ. Yeah. And that is a marriage that every one of us can enter into. 
Like that's the greater thing. Mm-hmm. Marriage here is just a reflection. And Paul says that in Ephesians. He says, you know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united together with his wife. But I'm saying this refers to Christ and his church. It's mm. a profound mystery. Yeah. And so what we experience here and now, although good as it is, is only a reflection of what's to come. Mm-hmm. And if we elevate the temporary and make people who don't maybe can never by either circumstance or by opportunity not engage in that feel like they're less than Mm -hmm. then we are doing a disservice we have to take that off the pedestal recognize it for what it is protect it but also elevate singleness Mm -hmm. and celibacy as a good thing too Mm -hmm. not as second class citizenship in the church but as a calling and a vocation Mm -hmm. and for those who aren't necessarily called to it by vocation but are just circumstantially dealing with it Mm -hmm. we need to understand that, that God's call for us to be family the family of faith that we take care of the orphans of the widows in their distress mm-hmm. means that we can't let people who are alone remain alone. Mm-hmm. We need to make space yeah. in our homes and our hearts for people that have a calling that is difficult. Yeah. You know, marriage is difficult. Raising kids is difficult. Mm-hmm. Being single your whole life is difficult. Yeah. And we need each other. We need to support one another and bear one another's burdens. And in the church today, I think there's a lot of single people who are languishing for lack of relationship and love, not because it shouldn't be available to them and and satisfying to them as a single person, Mm -hmm. but because we don't value the single person like we do the married couple. And so we need to, we need to work on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it requires not only knowing what the Bible says about sexuality and knowing what God's heart and intention is so that we don't fall into theological error. We need to do better at that. We need to understand how to dismantle the theological arguments that are being put forth in progressive theology because they are compelling and they are highly deceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, that from an intellectual standpoint, we need to do. We need to be not be afraid about talking about sexuality in the mm-hmm. church. We have not been good at talking about mm-hmm. sex in the church. Yeah. We've been afraid of it, but not talking about it has not made us healthier and mm-hmm. it has not made us holier. It yeah. has made us more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So we need to do a better job of not just waiting till the one youth group service near Valentine's Day each year. <laughs> you know, sexual struggle has been something that has been um, one of the top pastoral, you know, issues that pastors are facing within their congregations. Um, and, you know, Bible colleges don't give a lot of training for that. Seminaries yeah. don't give a lot of training for that. And so, just for lack of the training available, I understand why we're at, but we have to address these things. So mm-hmm. as pastors and as leaders, you don't have the luxury of ignoring this and just saying, well, I didn't get training. Well, then find it now. Mm-hmm. Like I did not have a lot of things available to me when I had to face this myself. I had to go chase it all down mm-hmm. and learn it myself. And yeah. even though I am a Bible college graduate, not one single hour of that education was don't was given to this topic. Yeah. So, yes, I have a degree, but nothing that I'm telling here was was informed by that degree. Yeah. You know, so we have to fight to understand what we're dealing with. Mm. Second, we have to understand that people do struggle and struggling is not the same as giving in. Mm-hmm. You know, in the scriptures, when it talks about those who practice these things in First Corinthians 6 will not inherit the kingdom of God, practicing sin and struggling with sin are different. Mm hmm. And we we need to understand the difference. Mm -hmm. When I'm practicing medicine or I'm practicing a sport, it's that I'm trying to perfect it and get good at it. 
if I'm practicing sin to, to perfect it in my life, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. If I have given myself over to the practice of it, that's a problem. If I fall down into sin once in a while because I have a vulnerability and yet I am still with my eyes set on Jesus trying to move towards him, that is a very different scenario mm-hmm. than someone who is practicing sin. And we have to differentiate the two because people will stumble and fall. Like they're not going to live a perfect, mm. perfect experience in this life. You know, I, I deal with this with a lot of youth who struggle not homosexually, but they struggle with pornography, mm-hmm. fantasy, masturbation, these struggles. Mm-hmm. And they feel like God has forsaken them and judged them every single time they make a failure and they fall mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why do you feel that way? Yeah. Don't you think God would rather have a son or daughter who struggles and no son or daughter at all? Mm. Like, do you think God knew that you would struggle with these things before he redeemed you into relationship with him? And that if those things were so bad to disqualify you from his love that he never would have been so cruel to invite you into relationship to begin with? Mm. Like, did he not know your humanity <laughs> and your vulnerability when he said, come follow me? Yeah. Like, did he not know Peter was going to forsake him? Yes, he did. Yeah. Did he not know Peter was going to, all the examples of Peter, <laughs> going to cut off the guy's ear? Yes, he did. And he still called him and built the rock of the church yes. on him. Yeah. And so struggling with sin and occasionally falling down in sin is very different than making sin a pursuit. We will all fail from time to time. It's not whether we fail. Mm. It's whether we get back up. Yeah. And scripture does say a righteous man may fall down seven times, but seven times he gets back up Mm. and not to get all weird on a tangent, but even that number seven, biblically, it represents completion. It represents perfection. And in that regard, like, I love the story of, oh Lord, I forgot his name. Naaman? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. The bathing in the river? Yes. Yeah, that's Naaman, Naaman, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the prophet asked him to dunk seven times in the Jordan River, literally, until you're done. And how many times do we have to come back to the Lord and ask his forgiveness until that particular sin is no longer a stumbling block? Keep running to Jesus. Keep confessing. Keep pursuing until you finally reach that breakthrough moment where it's no longer controlling your life. And, you know, for kids who struggle with these things, I'm like, Okay, you fell down. Get back up. Mm. Go to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. His mercy is new every morning. Now, if you made it two days last time, try to make it three days or four days this next time. Just keep going. Because eventually, as you pursue him, as you know his love for you, as you grow in your understanding of what Mm -hmm. made you vulnerable to begin with. Okay, now let's address that. The sin itself is just symptoms of other things. Just the fruit of these other places Mm -hmm. that we only find healing in as we pursue God in the midst of our struggle. So we have to do better at making sure that people that are going to struggle when they come into our churches aren't immediately kicked out and and viewed as a failure if they fall down. Mm. It's not falling down that's the problem. It's whether you stay down. It's whether you decide because you fell down that it's hopeless and you Mm. go back. Yeah. Just keep moving forward. Mm. So there's that. I think that we also need to be very um, aware that if we are places and churches that are seeking to welcome in the lost, we're going to have some pretty interesting people coming to church. <laughs> yeah. You know, at, at our church a couple of weeks back, I was sitting enjoying the service and I, I turned my head and I caught the back view of someone in a, I think the front row. And I'm like, is that man in a dress? <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yep, that man is in a ball gown. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, mm-hmm. game on. Here we go. <laughs> yep. You know, and it, it, you know, something brought this yes. gender confused individual to church. Yeah. And they were listening to the sermon. Like, I'm not going to go after the dress mm. right off the bat. I'm going to say, okay. And I did. I went and I said, so what brings you to church today, friend? You know, like, <laughs> you know, there was other things going on as I talked with this person that, you know, stirred a lot of compassion in me mm. for, for him rather than immediate judgment, because, you know, clearly he was wearing clothes not meant for his gender. Mm-hmm. That wasn't his big problem. You know, that was just one reflection of the brokenness that he's walking in. Mm. If I condemn him for the external, good Lord, then I lose any opportunity that there might be to help introduce him to a God that can heal the brokenness inside. Mm. And I don't get that opportunity if I'm immediately judging the exterior. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Items. Well, I think we can wrap up here and I would love it. Um, I want to go back through and uh, just name the books you mentioned. So yeah. if people are interested, um, if I can read my handwriting, Untamed by Alan. And, and Deborah Hirsch. Deborah Hirsch. There is uh, from Rosaria Butterfield. There is uh, Secrets of an Unlike, uh, yeah, Confessions of an Unlikely Convert. Mm-hmm. There's also Openness Unhindered and The Gospel Comes with a House Key. That's Rosaria Butterfield. Mm-hmm. There's also, I mentioned Dr. Larry Crabb's book, Fully Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's so many books. Honestly, I think I have a... And then the gal... Um... Who wrote, oh, who was it? Uh, the title that was just so catchy, Unlikely Convert. Oh, yeah, that's Rosaria Butterfield. That was Rosaria as yeah, well. Okay. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your book and where we can find it. Yeah. Are We There Yet? Um, Sexuality, the Church, and the Road to Transformation. You can. It's available on Amazon um, and Kindle. And if you just are not the reading type, <laughs> Audible. And yes, I do narrate it. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah. And you can go to my website, alivingletter.org, and there's a link there, or you can just go directly to Amazon. Okay, great. So, yeah. Yeah. And I uh, I read it. It was so great to read. It's really, um, it's personal. Yeah. It's, um, it, it gets right down into it, which yeah. I really like. You know, you, there's no taboo that's no. covered. Um, and so I just want to encourage I think it took me four days to read yeah, this. You know, yeah. it's just it's just easy to just get through it yeah. because it feels like you're inside someone's mind and thinking what they're thinking. Yeah. I like that, that. I tried um, to make it really conversational. Mm-hmm. I know it's a deep and a heavy topic, and so it needed to be approachable mm-hmm. and absorbable. So, yeah. For those yeah. who do like Donald Miller, oh, it yeah. is a similar kind of style of just. Well, that's a nice to... compliment. I like that. <laughs> yeah. He's a good writer. He's yeah. A... <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Donald. I wonder what he's up to these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, well, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Um, we just appreciate you a lot. And well, thank you for the invitation. It was such a joy. Yeah, such a joy to have you. Mm-hmm.